Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We spoke earlier today to Danny Callow, CEO of African Gold Group, TSXV-listed uh, gold developer with assets in West Africa, uh, Mali and uh, Burkina Faso specifically. Now, if you want to hear our thoughts on the conversation or indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club where you can also find detailed company reports, uh, market commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. Uh, there are training videos, and there are also summaries of other interviews that we've done to save you a little bit of time. There's also a large, thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. So go there and sign up on cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Danny, how are you doing, sir? Right, thanks. Great to be here. Thank you. So where are you? I think I can guess. Uh, I'm in sunny Cape Town. I think maybe a hint is behind me here. On the yeah, board. I saw that. Although, <laughs> although you're you're not South African, you're English, so you're you're a traitor. I just want to say that. No, no, I've got to say I'm the only person in the house that actually supports England, and to my detriment, in the last World Cup, it was a very soul destroying day, as you can imagine. That was a long day with many beers. I'm sure of it. So, so how come? How have you ended up in South Africa? Well, I guess when I finished a mining degree, there wasn't a whole lot of mining in England. So um, I thought better to, to go and cast my net further afield. So I ended up in, in South Africa initially. And I only intended to stay here for about three years just to sort of finish up my my training program with Goldfields. And I, I never seemed to leave. So I uh, married a local South African and, and uh, never left. That was your first mistake, honestly. What were you thinking, man? Uh, right. <laughs> We should, we should talk about mining. So a safer, safer topic, right? I did the same thing. I married an English woman, never left. It's just a trap. It's a trap. Uh, right. <laughs> right. So we're going to talk to you today um, about um, African Gold Group. Now, you only joined, was the end of last year, so you're, you're relatively new to it. But when you kick off, give us a one-minute overview of the group, and then we'll, kind of, we'll pick it up from there. Okay, great. Well, African Gold Group is a is a TSXV listed stock. It's a gold um, explorer and developer. Uh, we have assets in in southern Mali and Burkina Faso. Um, most of our focus has been on on the on the flagship Mali asset right now, where we've delivered a hundred thousand ounce definitive feasibility study uh, at a very com- compelling um, operating cost and ASIC number, um, and some and a very low capital capital number, which will give us. Some really, really good free cash flows out of there once we get going. Okay, you've done a lot of work um, since you arrived. Um, we've done a lot of work trying to understand the company, and at twenty-eight million market cap, I have to say I'm, I'm pretty confused. So you're going to help me today, if you don't mind. You up for that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so why don't you tell us, you know, where you are with the Mali asset in, in terms of maybe some of the numbers uh, and where you, you know, where you've got to. Okay. Great. So, so I think what attracted me to to, to the Mali asset was um, it's a it's an, a relatively small exploration um, or mining exploration concession around three hundred odd square kilometers. For me, it, it's a much more manageable type concession. We've only drilled about four kilometers of around 30 kilometers of shear zones identified on the property. And that's delineated this 2.3 million ounce measured indicator and inferred resource. So 
for me, what I saw was a great opportunity for future expansion, life of mine extension. And when I when I came into the company, I had a look at all of the information. There'd been close to 150,000 meters of drilling done on this project, so it wasn't wasn't small exploration. There was a lot of exploration there, but nobody had really pulled this together. Um, had a look at the data, understood the structural geology that we were looking at there. And it needed some some logic to pull it all together. And when we did pull it all together, we saw that there was an opportunity to not only grow the the, the, the phase one output, if you like, from the original thoughts of 50,000 ounces to 100,000 ounces, but we needed to do a little bit more work. So um, at the same time as trying to pull all of this together, we got the drills going again. So last year we we drilled about 11 and a half thousand meters of, of um, diamond drilling. That gave us a good understanding of the structural geology. We overlaid all of that, plus the mapping, plus the geophysics and everything. And it gave us a really good understanding of what this resource was going to look like. And at the same time, we also did all of the metallurgical test work again, because when I had a look at what had been done, we probably would have built the wrong plant had we gone ahead and, and, and not redone the test work. But what came out of that was a, a much more conventional West African gravity plus CIL oxide only plant um, very straightforward, very very cheap to build, very cheap to operate, um, and very good gold recoveries. And, and all of that pulled together into this definitive study uh, over the last 12 months or so. So I think it's been a fairly hectic but, but very fulfilling journey to get to where we are. And I guess really the starting point now we've delivered this study from July onwards is how the hell do we get this thing moving now and, and built? Okay, um, I need to kind of go through my my checklist here because you're, you're an ex uh, Glencore guy uh, back in the, back in the day, right? So you're coming from co corporate mining, um, but you've had a look at what you see in the ground and you think you've pieced it together in a slightly different way. So I'm interested in talking about your your business plan in a second. Can I just talk about things a bit more obvious? Like this company's been going going on for a long time. It's had I don't know how many versions of management it had you know in the in the last fifteen years, but and clearly you know even even up until recently heading in the wrong direction with uh, plant design etc. So you've come on board, taken a look at it. First thing you must have looked at is it's in Mali. Surely that's a problem. Yeah, I think I think we did have a look at that, and and I guess if you had to rank West African countries, Mali probably wouldn't be at the the, the, the top of your checklist, but you know, I've worked in, in DRC and Zambia and many other African countries over many, many years. And I find West Africa very refreshing, including Mali. So, you know, Mali, I, I guess that there would be some sort of discount applied to Mali. We've seen recently a, a military coup um, that, that's obviously made the government step down and, and a transitional government in place. Those things, those things happen in West Africa. But I, I, I guess that, you know, it, we're not the only company that's operating only in Mali, and we're not the only one that are probably having the same discount flight. So, I, you know, for me, I think West Africa is, is is one of the better regions that I've worked in in Africa. I think it's progressive in terms of, of its um, mining code and, and the way it operates. And, and you know, thankfully, we have a government that, that typically knows quite a bit about mining because they've been doing it for a long time. Okay, so the other thing about Mali is it's not about just political transition, which does happen, not, not as regularly these days, it, do, it, do, it does happen. You've got terrorist incursions also um, in, in the region, and people are nervous about that. Is it business as usual, really? Absolutely. In fact, um, 
you know, we 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 had uh, our team in Mali locked in there basically because of the, the the COVID crisis. And the day after the military coup happened, banks were open and people were moving around as normal. I think the other thing to point out is that you know Mali is a huge country, uh, so people pretty much paint Mali with one brush, which is uh, which is. Everybody, everybody, everybody's in danger in Mali. But in fact, we're right down in the southern part of the country. Um, we're on the Guinea border. We're very close to the Niger River. Um, we're in that whole Beremian sort of north, south, western uh, sort of zone where all of the mining companies are sitting. And not one mining company over the course of the last 10, 20 years has ever had any issues around uh, extremism, if we, if we can say that. So, I, I, you know, I think that... Um, it, I've always explained Mali as a country of two halves. You definitely don't want to go north and east of Bamako, but south and west or, or west of Bamako is is like a different country. Okay, okay. Thank, thanks for that. Um, you're in the Burumian Greenstone Belt. Very, very well-known. Like I say, a lot of miners, a lot of big names in there, a lot of, a lot of answers being produced and have been for a long time. Um, but your grade compared to some of the stuff that other people are mining seems quite low. Surely it can't be that yeah. attractive. Why, why, you know, why aren't you hitting these sort of one, two, and three grams that everyone else is? Yeah, look, I think I think it it could be considered lower grade than some. Um, we don't have the benefit of some of the much higher grades that you see more to the northwest of Mali, but down in the, in the southern part, the grades are typically a little bit lower, and that almost pulls through into parts of Burkina Faso as well. Um, that being said, you know, grade is. Grade is okay. Um, we'll feed we'll feed a gram a ton or more into the process plant for the first six years anyway. And um, I I typically think that you can't look at grade on its own. You have to look at all of the components that make up the cost that go together uh, to, to to produce your ounce of gold. And so typically your one sort of common factor amongst all gold miners is your all in sustaining cost. And as long as you can defend the components of that and that number's good. It doesn't really matter what your grade is. This is fairly straightforward, simple, free dig mining. It's saprolytic. There's no hard material in there. It flows through the plant very, very easily. It it leaches very quickly, 16 hours. You've got 96% recovery. So all of these factors compound to offset what could be seen as a slightly lower grade. Right. Okay. And what are the other numbers that you're looking at? Like operating costs, clearly, IRR, all of those things. Is that what people should be looking at? Yeah, look, I, I always, me typically, when I have a look at an operation, I always have a look at the operating cost. That's the number that you have some control over and, and you can see whether a project is going to produce positive cash flow or not. Um, yeah, IRRs and MPVs, I, I guess you can you can manipulate them a little bit and, and you know, throw a whole lot of high grade in at the front, which typically maybe not happen when you, when you mine. But, you know, for me, operating cost is a, is a true number. It's built up from base principles. You know what the reagents are going to be, the cost, um, how much power you require on the plant, how much labor. So for me, very much um, operating cost is a key component. MPV and IRR are important. That's another one that people look at. Um, and I think that we've, we've delivered some very compelling MPVs and IRRs, so I'm, I'm very comfortable with those numbers. And again, you know, what I think is really important here is that this study was done at 1530 gold. So I'm not a believer in sticking a great big high gold price number in there and making it look attractive. This is 1530 gold. It's very, very defendable. Um, depending upon what your view of the gold price is, the MPVs and IRRs could be significantly higher. 
But at the same time, on the downside, if you're a little bit bearish about gold, at 1300 gold, this is still a great project. Any project that's returning you 25% post-tax IRR and more than 100 million MPV at, at 1300 gold is a good project, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't, I'd agree, I would agree with that. Um, can we talk about the business plan? And you've given us some clues there, but let, let, you've been in since what? August, September last year, just over a year, right? You had a lot of data because they've been out there a long time, 150,000 meters. You had a lot of data to work with. So tell us what the plan is and how you're going to deliver it. So, so clearly the first plan was to deliver this definitive study. And, and for me, it was important that it was independent. So we used um, an external company to do that. Um, I wanted something that was, was something that I would sign off on as, as the CEO, but also something that would be very defendable um, in a data room where somebody is looking at it um, in isolation. Um, but, but that's done and dusted now. So I, I guess we, we ticked that box, we've done the definitive study. The next steps are obviously twofold, I guess. Um, we, we clearly need to go out and raise this money in the market. Um, we, we, we have started talking to institutions about that. Um, we don't have a lot of headroom on the equity side, so we started talking to the senior debt providers first. There's been some interest and some uptake, but you know, I guess this year hasn't been great for most um, financial institutions, so um, it's been a little bit slower than expected. That being said, we do have, have a couple of, of, of senior uh, facilities having a look at our data room. And obviously, then with the, the other debt providers, what you can call them mezzanine or hybrid debt providers, there's a whole lot of interest there. Um, and we're engaging with them and talking to them. And we've kept a very open mind about how we structure this whole financing. The nice thing about the company is we don't have any debt. We don't have any NSRs. We don't have any streams or royalties of any sort. So we, we can be a little bit flexible on how we put a financing package together. Um, my feeling is on the financing side, uh, you know, do you rush into it at, at, at very, very high interest rates and, and regret it later? Um, so what we've decided to do in the interim is, whilst we're going through the motions of, of, of talking in a structured way to a lot of these institutions, we've put drills back in the ground. So I guess if you had to have a look at our strategy right now, it's a parallel strategy. Um, I talked a little bit at the beginning about this huge exploration upside. Um, I'm not a firm, I'm not a geologist. Um, I'm a miner, so I, I'm not a believer in just poking holes into the ground for, for, in, in the hope you're going to find something. I, I believe in statistics, so we need to go and find the gold close to where the other gold is. So we've drilled 17 holes already, and we've hit gold in 17 holes, which for me is a pretty good hit rate. Um, and what what this exploration program is doing for us is um, it's giving us an opportunity to expand the resource base quite quickly. Um, we have 575,000 ounces of inferred oxides, shallow, close to surface, that can be easily converted into M&I. Um, if we can convert three to 400,000 of those, which I believe we can, and, and turn that into reserves, we're over a million ounces of, of, of reserves. So that's a nice number to, to sort of go into the financing with. On top of that, we have two very prospective shear zone extensions that we've already started drilling and getting some good results back on. Um, we're also seeing the potential that um, the grade actually improves as we move to the north of our shear zone areas. So that could be a good opportunity to give us some more flexibility on the overall weighted grade. And ultimately, this is something that will keep us busy whilst we're going through the motions of the financing. I'm not somebody that can sit around twiddling my thumbs. And I think this will continue to deliver some news into the market 
whilst we're, we're, we're going through that, that race. So, that, that's good news because I think your dog wants to go for a walk. It's fine. Can you give me one second? I'm going to yeah, yeah, yeah. Button. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Danny, just talk to me about the financing again because there's got to be more to it than the, the market's tricky at the moment, okay? Because lots of people are getting funded. I don't know so much about the debt side. You know, we've seen a few things, not a lot, but what are they nervous about? Are they nervous about some of the things that we've talked about today? I, I think they, there's a definite possibility of that. I mean, I, I you know, th there's no doubt that, that, that Mali is Mali. Um, I think there could be a couple of other things as well. There's a potential that um, the grade is an issue, and we've spoken a little bit about that. If you have a look at the grade in isolation and you're looking at a one-pager on the company or, a, or an investor presentation and grade is one of your tick points, then maybe you would... You would be a little bit unhappy with with, with that as a, as a first glance, perhaps, and it maybe needs a little bit more explanation. I think the other thing about the company is that I, I've been I've been in just over a year, but this company's been around for a long time, and and people in in financial markets have long memories, um, and you know there's always this trade-off, in my opinion, between um, companies that continue to tell people they're going to build a mine and they don't build it. So. I think over the years, this company through the drilling program has, has delivered a couple of studies, all of saying that they're going to start to build the mine and then they don't and they go back and drill it again. And um, and I think that people have long memories. So one of the mandates that I had with the board when I came in was I said, I'm only coming in here if we can build this thing. That's the first thing because I'm not a geologist and I don't want to drill for the next five years. Um, I'm also a firm believer in if you've got enough ounces in the ground to deliver a, a very good feasibility study like ourselves, build it, produce the cash flows and, and continue to develop organically with your own cash rather than having to keep going out to the markets to do it. So I think that, you know, in all honesty, it's probably a combination of those three things. Um, and it's something that perhaps we have to continue to plug away and work on and communicate and, and get the message out there that we were a very different company to, to, to what it was a year ago um, and a very different company to um, or, or a very different uh, project to what was initially envisaged when people looked at these previous studies a long time ago. We've seen about, well, we probably see a company a week who changes its name because they've been through the same process. Why haven't you considered that? We have, and uh, I'll push back on it a little bit at the moment because um, <laughs> I think that's... Uh, that's the easy way out. I think for me, the the best way to do this is to to get people confident in the management team, get people confident in the board, get people confident with the project, and build those relationships um, over time that will, will ultimately end in a deal. I, I guess you know the other thing that maybe is a disadvantage for me is that, as we mentioned, I come out of a large corporate environment. My my background is 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 being able to pick up the phone to. Um, the head of copper and say we need to build this project it's, it's really you know it's great irrs and mpvs and typically you would get funding quite quickly i'm not well known in the junior mining market um, and it's going to take a little bit of time for me to get my message across and, and for people to meet me and and um and, and for us to move forward but i you know i'm i'm very positive about this I, you know the nice thing is we've got a great project so it's very, it's very difficult to talk about a terrible project. It's very easy to talk about a good project. Um, and, and it's just about getting the message out there. 
Yeah, for sure. But, but let's look at some of the other issues you're going to come up against. Obviously, market cap, 28 million or so, 28 to 30, we'll call it, okay? Um, you're going to need two types of money to go forward. You've got about two, two and a half million bucks of cash at the moment around there, right? So at some point, you're going to need some cash to kind of keep things going because you're spending money on drilling. You're not sitting back and preserving cash. So that's number one. Right. So the cost of that at this level is expensive to you. So you need to drive the share price up. And secondly, the types of conversations, you know, um, debt guys have with companies of your size, the, mon the money gets more and more expensive, right? So right. I, I can understand what you say about delaying the decision-making with a bit more news and having this dual track strategy, which is one proving up more answers. That makes a lot, whole bunch of sense. But you must have an idea in your head of, what, what those numbers need to look like before you'll want to get into conversation and two, you'll have a sensible conversation with any debt providers. Can you give us an idea of what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that we, we probably should be sitting with a market cap closer to 80 to 100 million Canadian. Um, Why? Why? Because if you look at some of our peers in the market that are probably even earlier development than us, a, a Roscan or someone like that, um, or, you know, Equinox, I think that the, certainly Roscan, you, you would see that, you know, at 90 odd million, um, that's probably the level that we should be at. So once you're at those sorts of numbers, then you, then a whole lot of things kick in. There's a whole bunch of warrants that would, would be up for, for exercising. Um, obviously then you would have a lot more interest in, 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 in the stock. So I think that is, is quite key for us. And I fully agree that we, we, we have to get from where we are today. To that level so the question then becomes well how do you get there um i think um news i don't know and maybe i'm maybe i'm a little bit green in this game but for me what what i would have considered to be very sort of definable milestones in a project like this which is to deliver a very robust definitive feasibility study have your permits in place be ready to build should be a catalyst really for being able to, to push that share price quite a bit higher. I guess the problem now is is that um, there's probably less capital around, um, certainly in the in the Canadian markets, and and people are saying, great, you've got a great study, you've got a, you've got a project, it looks good, you've got a good team, everything's done, all the boxes are ticked, but you haven't got the finance to build it. So that could be the sort of next catalyst that people are waiting for. And yeah, it, it does get a little bit frustrating. No, I, mean, I, I, I can sense the frustration for for sure because it's it kind of feels like you don't know why why people are valuing it here. Um, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm like I said right at the beginning. I'm not sure I understand why either um, because you've got a lot of the moving parts that you'd want to see in a company like this. Um, well, okay, so just uh, let's let's just um, if we if we may just talk about um, what. The timing is before you know because you've got this two two and a half million bucks. You're going to spend some money on drilling. You, you didn't, the, the question I wanted was you know how much drilling do you do because you've got 150 thousand meters. Surely you can't need any more. To you say right okay we will we've now kind of got the resource up to what it, what size do you think it needs to be? You, I'm looking at 1.2 million measured and indicated at the moment. What do you think it needs to look like? Look, I, let, let me take it from the backside. So I, I, I'll look at a reserve because that's what the answers have come out of it now. So I, I think that um, another couple of tick boxes that are quite key here are 10-year mine life, 100,000 ounces, million ounce reserve. So 
What is very key for me is to get the reserve from the 755,000 ounces up to the million ounces. I'm a firm believer that the drilling campaign that we have in place right now will do that very relatively quickly, and I'm talking within the next few months. Um, and, and that will, I guess, tick another box. It will also give us a little bit more flexibility on the mine optimization, um, which will probably be positive for the MPVs and IRRs and the cash flows. And I think that that just really sort of brings in enough that people say, okay, 10-year mine life, that's, that's an investable product. Um, you know, million, 100,000 ounces a year, that's, that's pretty good. And then what we do is whilst we're constructing the mine, we, we keep drilling. Uh, and, you know, construction takes 19, 20 months. We know that with 19, 20 months of additional drilling there, that reserve could be 1.2, 1.5 million ounces. And then all of a sudden, you've got something that really is starting to look quite exciting. So for me, I've, I've worked in a number of operations where people drill. As soon as the mine's built, they forget about drilling and, you know, when they wake up, they realize, oh, we've only got two or three years of life left on this mine. So for me, the replacement of reserves all the time is quite important. So, you know, if I had to break this down into three stages, the one is let's drill enough to get a million ounces or, or a little bit more. So that gives us our tick for the for the 10 year mine life. For the next two years of construction, once we have the financing, let's drill some more because then we're ultimately going to probably add another 200 to 500,000 ounces there based upon what we believe we've got on the property. And then you can take a little bit of a deep breath and say, right, okay, I don't have to go drilling like crazy now. I've got enough to get going, but now I've got some real flexibility in whether I push the mine life out for 15 years or do I look at a phase two on this plant and with your own cash flow, build a 120, 150,000 ounce a year producer. So, you know, I like, I, I think when you've got very prospective exploration areas to drill, some stage you're going to drill them. Um, we're not going to go and ask uh, investors to put all the money up front to, to drill for the next five years and, and, and get to two million ounces of reserve. It doesn't do anything in, in anybody's life. I think people at some stage want to see a return and they want to see some gold coming out of this thing. So I think we've got enough to get going. The study shows that. I think a, a million ounces is a, is a better number. It, you know, it ticks another box and potentially that could be a slightly higher grade. Um, and, and, um, then we, we just keep drilling as, as we move on. And if you can drill enough to replace the 100,000 ounces a year, then you just extend the mine life by a year every year. And that's a nice sort of model to use, I guess. Okay. So with people in your data room at the moment, are you confident you will get this thing financed sometime soon? I'll answer it in two parts. I'm confident that we'll get it financed. The sometime soon is, I'm not sure what that sometime soon is. I mean, I'm just thinking timing-wise, um, we're, we're getting towards the end of the year now. I think everyone's pretty tired. Um, so would I would I think that we would get it financed by first quarter next year? I think we've got quite a good chance about that. Um, that would be good timing for us. And um, it would give us time to finish all of the sort of pre-construction works like ordering of long lead items, um, finishing detail design and things like that, which and then lead into earthworks. So I, I think timing-wise, if it's any time in the first half of next year, that's great timing for us. Okay, brilliant. Danny, thank you so much for running through that. We've not spoken before. Good luck with the fundraise. Wish you well with that one. Let us know how you get on. Stay in touch, okay? No, I'll do that. Thanks a lot. And thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? 
or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.